Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Okay, so I taught I taught Spanish tragedy um, last week. It was first the first play in my revenge tragedies course um, that I'm teaching. we're never gonna get this recorded that i'm teaching (laughs) (laughs) i'm crying okay Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Hamlet. And uh, this week we are revisiting Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy. I don't know why I did that voice. <laughs> the Spanish Tragedy. I don't know what that was. It's a How Spanish tragedy. How weird can we say it? Let's try it again. <laughs> the Spanish Tragedy, see? Ah, I'm telling you what. All right. Um, it's oh, uh, what the fuck is the on the Spanish desk? Tragedy? I've been watching New Girl again, and I'm redoing all of Jess's voices. Um, mm. Jess from the show, not you, Jess. I mean, we are kind of the same person. Though, <laughs> so that's true. Do you know how many years my alarm clock noise was the New Girl theme song? I know it was at least a few of them because when I met yeah. you, you told yeah. me that that was the yeah. case. So because yeah, yeah, it was it was probably like all of the masters program. <laughs> um that's a that's a perfectly nice way to wake up yeah very self-affirming uh, very healthy well you know because it's me and i'm that yeah. girl and i'm jess yeah. um we have digressed and it's already 90 wow. seconds so wow. anyway uh welcome back to the podcast i presume you're here because you are always here or at least regularly here this week it's a 201 episode Mm -hmm. you know the drill at this point (laughs) yeah yeah 201s we're gonna assume that you already have a familiarity with thomas kidd's the spanish tragedy um and if you don't you can Mm -hmm. check out our banger of a 101 episode from god season one it's no. in our, it's, yeah it was what? like our. i think so yeah it was like our season finale in season one that sounds fucking fake i know but it's true it's true so anyway and it's a gr- it's a great fucking episode if i say so myself so like familiarize yourself Holy with the spanish tragedy shit. yeah you're fucking right yes yes i am it does happen from s- time to time <laughs> yeah Whoa. Four years ago. I know. I know. I know. Um, Yeah. And we were just as brilliant four years ago as we're going to be today. Um, Today, for this 201 episode, we are talking about revenge versus justice and the pedagogy of dumb shows and masks. 
Yeah. This How is to teach I those to the kids. Taught Spanish tragedy last week. Um, and I, I don't think I did it super well. So I'm curious to know, yeah, how it went and what yeah. you tried and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before that, we have a feature we call Happy Hour, which features things that we like that make us feel good, that are progressive sometimes and fluffy sometimes. <laughs> um, for me, mine is, it's not a new thing to me, but it it was brought up in my memories because I was talking about like sports and exercise and some with a coworker and mentioned that about a decade ago, oh God, it was... <laughs> 2011 2011 um i i joined the women's football alliance and i played a season of professional tackle football yeah you did um yeah and it was fucking life-changing and it was so great and it was like like i made you know friends for life but also it was the first time in my whole life that somebody and actually a whole group of people looked at me the way i look and were like yes, we need this person on our team. Um, Instead of being like, well, you got a condition and like slim those hips and shit. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it was football and and like other team sports are kind of the only place I've ever been that have been completely like body affirming. Um, In, yeah. And like, I'm all for team sports, but like, um, and particularly in football, because it really does. I mean, if you, you know, this, it is Super Bowl weekend for those tracking. Um, and and but like football in particular, like needs a lot of different body types to make the team mm-hmm. work. Like you need okay. tiny little fast people to run and catch those balls. You need giant sh- brick shithouse people to stop the to stop the team breaking you know, the other team breaking through like you need an o-line you know like you need all of those body types and you need like a tall person to like with a really good arm to throw and be a quarterback you know what i mean like um so i just want to throw that out there one for for this uh football alliance for the women's football alliance to get a lot more traction and like if you like football I don't know, pick a team. They're all over the country. There's another league too, uh, the Independent Women's Football League, the IWFL. So you can look up the teams and go and support them. These are called professional tackle football, but the women basically pay for the privilege. They You have to buy your own equipment. Like the teams are totally self-funded. Like it's, they need a lot more support than they're getting. Um, and also if you are so inclined, you should find your nearest team and try out like just go do it. I never thought I would be playing football when I was, what, 28 years old <laughs> when I did that. Um, but it was fucking awesome. It was awesome. And I was reminded of that from just like a random, you know, office conversation mm. this past week. So I'm going to throw their link up. Find your local team. Go support them. Or go play some fucking football. It is really fun, really fun to just flatten people. <laughs> My favorite kind of sports are the kinds where I just get to tackle people and like flatten them without getting arrested. So I it's, it's the best. I have known and loved you for just about a decade, which also oh. wrap your fucking head around that. Whoa, trying can't. Uh-huh. Um and you know, I I know you and so I'm used to you and I I just like you just live rent free in my brain all the time um (laughs) but it's always really cool to be reminded 
of how fucking badass you are. <laughs> and when you talk about football, I'm like, yeah, my fucking friend Aubrey's the fucking tits. She's so fucking cool. And like, obviously, I know you're fucking cool because like I've known and loved you for a decade. Um, but sometimes it's nice to have like an in your face reminder <laughs> of just how oh, fucking amazing thanks. you are. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I only had that one little rookie season. I'm you want to talk about some badass women. One of my Always. teammates, one of my teammates was an FBI agent. What? Yes. Yes. She was on the D-line. Uh she was a uh I forget the name of the position now cuz again, I only had the one rookie season. I learned just enough to know my plays and that was it. Right. Um but but yeah, her nickname was Wham Wham. And she was like, she was, I know, she was this petite, compact, just like ball of iron. (laughs) And she would run downfield and just knock bitches out twice her size. She was the fucking coolest. And like, of course, she took those skills out into the field as an FBI (laughs) agent. Like, you would, wouldn't you? So cool. I met so many cool people from all different walks of life playing that sport. It was fucking amazing. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, on that note, uh, I'm fucking late to the party, but Ted Lasso, y'all. Oh, yeah. Don't sleep on Ted Lasso. I know it's on Apple TV and like no one has Apple TV because there's nothing on Apple TV that you want to watch except for Ted Lasso. But like it's worth it y'all i am furious about how much i love this show it's about fucking soccer but also like it's not about fucking soccer it's about like fucking relationships and love and grief and Mm -hmm. you know life and friendship and sabotage and you know all kinds of shit um and I'm furious. I'm furious about how much I love the show. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did over the last couple of weeks. Hell <laughs> yeah. Just binged the entire thing. Um, so don't sleep on that. But also uh, on a non-sports note, um, yesterday I started reading uh, Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. Um, which is not a terribly new novel. I mean, it's, I guess, in in the s- scheme of time, it is very fucking new. Um, but it's, I think it's a couple years old now. Um, and it made a splash when it came out and everybody was fucking talking about it. Um, and then I put it on my reading list for the queer lit class I'm going to teach in the fall. Um, and I was like, I should probably actually read this before I commit to it. <laughs> um, so I started mm-hmm. reading it and it's, it's, it's such a banger. It's such a banger. It's, um, the, the conceit basically is three women come their their like lives collide over, um, uh, the conception and I presume eventual birth of a baby. I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> but it's a, a cis woman, a trans woman, and then, uh, cis man, former trans woman. Mm. Um, who has detransitioned, uh, and, and the, the way that they, they all collide together over this pregnancy. Um, Mm. it's, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So tell me about your teaching adventure with the Spanish tragedy. Um, 
and like how how can we help with that how can we use this podcast to to help with that so um i taught the spanish tragedy last week uh and also the week before um it's the first play on the syllabus in my revenge tragedies class that i'm teaching this semester um which p.s is like the coolest fucking class y'all don't even know we're having the fucking best time we already have a body count of 11 and uh we're reading the second half of hamlet this week so you know that's gonna go up um yeah so we we started off with spanish tragedy because you know it's early it's kind of like the er revenge tragedy on the english stage and it's like it's foundational for the genre so um i taught it uh, and something that you might remember uh, from 37,000 years ago when we did the 101 episode um, is that this this is a, a play with only four acts, which is fascinating. I can't I can't name a single other play in the early modern canon that has only four acts. I think the rest of them are all five acts or scenes. Um, and I'm sure there's you know more out there, but I'm not aware of them. So there, the, the big conversation in my class last week um, that I wanted to then bring to the podcast was what is the difference or where's the line between revenge and justice? And how do we define those concepts for us? How do we define them in the play? How do we define them for characters? Which characters are seeking what? You know, is there a distinction? How do we classify that distinction you know this kind of thing um so i i just i think it's really fucking fascinating um and that my students were so gung-ho about it for you know two weeks basically they were like you know how what is revenge and and what is justice and what's the difference and how do we you know talk about it Mm -hmm. so um do you want to do you want to take a stab at at (laughs) that yeah i um i don't know i revenge and justice kind of feel antithetical to me interesting (laughs) like like if you're i i think the same outcomes can sometimes transpire Mm -hmm. in either when you're either seeking revenge or seeking justice but but i think it's the the intent behind them that makes them maybe different i i or like wildly opposite like revenge to me feels like and and this is you know informed by i guess a lot of literature too as well as experience but revenge feels like something outside of a system it is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it is vigilante i think by by nature of being what it is and it and to me, revenge always seems like the the utmost consequence is death of some sort. Sure. Somebody's death. Somebody's yeah. termination. Sure. Right? Um, and I know it doesn't always have to be that way. In, in literature, it certainly feels that way. In, like, mm-hmm. in plays, especially, it mm-hmm. certainly feels that that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's the sticking point for me, is that justice, like, justice should not involve somebody's death sure um i i am one of those people who does not i don't support the death penalty for for a number of reasons um part Uh of it is my catholic upbringing but um 
but there are other reasons for that too. So like I just I feel like there's a line and justice works within the system, within whatever that system is, it it is a systemic thing as opposed yeah. to an outside the system thing, which feels to me like I don't I'm not yeah. sure that there is a line other than that, maybe is like right. one system and one is not, but you can't traverse that boundary easily. You can't just like move from justice into revenge or mm-hmm. or maybe you shouldn't. I think you can, but you shouldn't. I don't know. I'm talking myself into <clears throat> knots and loops now. Well, so so it's I I kind of purposely didn't tell you what my students said about it mm-hmm. because I wanted your take. And so I, I it's really it's interesting um that you kind of really quickly homed in on where they put the distinction as well is that justice operates within the legal system and revenge operates outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I, I got into the OED just now to look at the definitions to see what mm. the dictionary says. And so the dictionary yeah. says justice is um, maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power assignment of deserved reward or punishment mm. giving of due deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dating back to 1160 is, is kind of the first, um, instance of that in, in print. Um, and then <coughs> we go over to revenge, which their earliest, uh, record of the word in print is 1525. Okay. Which is significantly later. Yeah. Um, and it's they their first definition is the action of hurting, harming, or otherwise obtaining satisfaction from someone in return for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands, yeah. satisfaction obtained by repaying an injury or wrong. And this is also super interesting. The third um, print example that they give is from 1592 from Thomas Kidd, not oh, wow. from Spanish tragedy, but from um, something called Truth Murdering of Bruin. Did Thomas Kidd write a true crime account? Yeah. The Truth of the Murdering of John Bruin, 1592. Yeah, that's fucking fascinating. Uh, Want to figure out what that's about. Um, Yeah, this is the the quote is the blood of the just able cried for vengeance and revenge on the murderer. So we've got. The, the OED lists uh, examples from 1525, 1553, mm. 1592. And then, of course, we get the Shakespeare example, 1600. Um, from Midsummer, the winds, as in revenge, have sucked up from the sea contagious fogs. So that's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, what's her butt's Titania. season's yeah. altar. Yeah. yeah, you know, what's her butt. Yeah. Um, and then we've got uh, 1616. We've got Ben Johnson, Epicene, Oh, Revenge, How Sweet Thou Art. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and it continues up to 1990, um, which is fascinating. Uh, and then we've got, um, second definition, the desire to repay or obtain satisfaction for an injury or wrong. Um, earliest is 1559. We again have a Shakespeare quote from Allswell. I have forgiven and forgotten all, though my revenges were high bent upon him. And then our third definition is uh, vengeance personified. So revenge is an allegorical character um, where we get, uh, as an example, we get Titus Andronicus. Tamara says revenge now goes to lay a complot to betray thy foes. Um, and then, of course, Middleton's Revenger's Tragedy. <laughs> right. We have an example from there. Yeah. A lot of, lot of Shakespeare showing up. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. Like we also... The... 
the word showed up, what, in the early 16th century and then just really took off mm-hmm. kind of feels like with the creation yeah. of these plays. Just I like, mean, boom. The two things, I think, have to be related. I I am, of course, not giving you all the other 16th century sure. non-dramatic uh, sure. uses. Anyway, so um, justice within the legal system, revenge outside the legal system is is about where my students fell down on that so so i there i don't have a whole lot else to say about that just that that's that's um a fascinating thing to think about like where's the line how do we define the line do we want to define the line how do we do it for ourselves etc um but then to figure out which characters are are angling you know really for what right so Mm -hmm. the play opens with don andrea the ghost of don andrea and revenge as the allegorical character right having a conversation and don andrea is like i want some fucking revenge against what's his ass who fucking killed me uh Mm -hmm. balthazar and and then the the play that's sort of that's the inciting incident right is Mm -hmm. is we gotta get back at balthazar and then Balthazar kills Horatio mm-hmm. and kidnaps Bell and Piria. Mm-hmm. And Don Andrea, who is on stage the entire time, right? He and he and Revenge kind of act as the chorus and are constantly yeah. there. Um, and Don Andrea is like, what the fuck? Like, where is my revenge? Um, and then we get Hieronimo, who's coming in, who wants mm-hmm. justice slash revenge for his son's death Horatio mm-hmm. um and and then you know what do you do with Bell Imperia and what does she want does she want revenge does she want justice you know she doesn't have a whole lot of agency she gets a couple like badass moments and she's got that great speech um at the beginning of act four question mark where she's like what the fuck Hieronimo like get the let out do the thing do some murders please and i will help you do some murders and like let's do some murders and then so it's the other thing the other like fun conversation we had was like whose whose story is this and who who is driving the plot and whose revenge are we most invested in Mm -hmm. because i don't think it's not andrea's right yeah you kind of forget about him you kind of forget he's there you super and if you're just reading the play you a hundred percent forget he's there. Yeah, yeah. Because right? he doesn't like interject. It's not like uh-uh. Night of the Burning Pestle where there's constant interjection no, from no. the observers. He's just kind of mm, hanging out, lurking. Yeah, he gets a monologue like at the end of each act. Yeah, where he's basically like, "Revenge? What the fuck? Why is this taking so long? Are you <laughs> literally sleeping? Can you wake the fuck up, please, and like do your job?" And Revenge is like, "Calm your tits, boy." Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, so, so I just, I love this play. I love this play and I think it's so fucking interesting. And then to follow it immediately with Hamlet is, has also just been really exciting and fun because, you know, the, the the Spanish tragedies that are Hamlet maybe, um, which I know we've talked about anyway. And I'm teaching Q1 Hamlet because like, duh, because it's short and is still Hamlet and like really fun. Anyway, um, so that's, that's that. And, um, 
I don't know if there's anything else I want to say about that. But what do yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, say about that? well, the the characters seem characters in a lot of these plays seem to use them interchangeably too. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you take that like eye for an eye action yourself, yes. you're getting yes. revenge. Mm-hmm. And if you ask someone else to take that action for you, it's justice. Or, clo- or like, I guess it depends on who you ask. But if you're asking somebody right. in power to to enact a consequence for you, you are seeking justice, right? Because mm-hmm. I like my brain is very much in Romeo and Juliet right now because we're, right, you know, rehearsing Romeo and Juliet about to open it. Um, and I and the the line, you know, I crave justice, which thou prince must give. Romeo slew Tybalt. Romeo must not live. Like mm-hmm. she clearly wants an eye for an eye. Again, wants a death for a death. But she's asking, like, someone within the system to do it for her, and therefore it is justice and not child-for-child murder, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it really does go back to the system, which, of course, the system is flawed. The system is biased. The system doesn't work. The system isn't just in so, so, so many occasions. Yeah. it's built to be unjust. So, which is again, you know, it's like why people seek revenge. It's why people try to do it themselves. And it's wrong. Like, seeking revenge is bad and seeking justice is good, except you're kind of seeking the same thing, mm-hmm. either within the system or without it. I don't know. That's a, yeah, well, it's a really interesting conundrum. And what else is interesting? I'm just, I'm reviewing um, the opening of the play. In Don Andrea's like giant fucking 85 line speech that opens the play. Yeah. He does not say the word justice at all. Mm-hmm. And the only time he says revenge is when he is addressing the character of revenge. Uh-huh. He says forthwith huh. revenge. She rounded thee in the air, blah, 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 hmm. which is super, super interesting. Um, I wish. I wish I could do like a control f on this book and like find you know who says revenge and who says justice and what the what the breakdown there is but i don't yeah i don't think that that is um i don't think i have the technology for that it's an interesting interesting concept interesting thing um -hmm. okay so the other the other half of this is that how the fuck do you teach a dumb show or a mask to modern students? Like there is no good analog for this is what a mask or a dumb show is. And I I had in my teaching notes for act four, I was like, we have to talk about what the fuck a mask is. Yeah. But I didn't put in my teaching notes this is what the fuck a mask is. And so I got there and I was like, okay, we got to talk about a mask. And then I like blanked. Cause I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to like, I know I, this is where I live, right? I live in early modern drama. Yeah. I hang out with masks all the time. It's not weird to me, right. but there's no, there's no modern analog and you like it's not a play right a mask is not a play and like that's kind of the closest you can get but it's not and a dumb show for sure is like neither of those things and it's but it's there they play such pivotal roles especially in fucking revenge tragedies yeah like 
you have to understand what it is. And I just, I, I failed. I completely failed at teaching them what it was and getting them to understand. And because I failed so hard, my first section, I teach two sections back to back. I just, I skipped right over it in the second section. I was like, we will have more chances to talk about masks and I'm going to go away and I'm going to figure it out. And yeah. I'm going to come back, but I have not figured it out yet. And we've got women, boy or women coming up, which has a really fucking pivotal mask. Yeah. So I got to figure it out. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, let's start with the features of, of a dumb show and then we'll move to a mask or a mask. Mm -hmm. Do you, or unless you want to start with a mask. Doesn't matter. Okay. So dumb show by its very name means no words, right? Dumb meaning no talking. Silent. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so it is silent. It is movement based. Maybe. Yeah, it is pantomime. It is that they might understand. Yeah. Uh, if any of your students, I mean, we're on the East Coast. If any of your students are familiar with Synetic Theater in D.C., like, okay, well, they should be first of all because they do fucking in, like incredible work. But right. all of their stuff essentially is dumb show. It is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. It is um, dance and movement based. Of like classic plays um, and new plays, but but they've done like Cyrano, they've done As You Like It, they've done you know all kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's wordless, right? The and that's like the main feature of it, right? Yeah. It is just enacting stuff in pantomime. Yeah, yeah, miming, right? Okay, masks have masks. <laughs> but Sometimes, not always. Not always. You know, um, they, they've got they've got words and, and they do use words. Yeah. Song and they're going to have dance, maybe. Yeah. But it's not a play. But also so it's like a musical. But with it's masks. M- well, that like, yeah, like with the film, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's a like rock it's an, opera. But it's <laughs> not a rock opera. <laughs> you know, it's like I. And then I think about, you know, dramatic masks, like masks within plays, you know, like yeah. the one in Spanish tragedy, like the one in Women of War Women, like the one in Revengers um, versus the play within a play in Hamlet versus right. the play within the play in Midsummer versus right. the play within a play in like whatever. Right. And holding those up against like actual surviving court masks from the period, like mm-hmm. Ben Johnson's Mask of Blackness or Mask of Queens. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and like what <laughs> yeah i i mean i think i just got to get on twitter and be like fuck someone help how do i <laughs> how yeah um well i mean you know with something so sort of fluid in form mm-hmm. i think it's okay mm-hmm. to also just say like this is essentially what it is okay. this is these are the features that you're going to see when it's a mask versus when it's a dumb show. Um, it's not, you know, it's a, everything is a rule until it's not. Sure. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, which is sort of true about a lot of things, but like, you know, it's maybe it's just one of those, like, you'll know it when you see it ki- kind of things. Like this is a <laughs> like mask. Porn. A little bit, yeah. I can't but define like, it, but I know is, it when I see I, it. I can't define it, but Which, I know a mask when I see it. Like, P.S. I fucking said in that class. <laughs> and then I went, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do this in the second section. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think it's okay to like, and maybe let them try to figure out if it's a mask and be like, well, you know, you were almost there because you caught this, this, and this mm-hmm. part of the form, but you know, in Hamlet, this isn't a mask because of these reasons or, you know, yeah. uh, it doesn't have like masks have that, like that je ne sais quoi of like higher theatricality, like high okay. heightened, right? Like heightened performativity yeah. maybe that. But also doesn't, doesn't the mousetrap, the play within the play in Hamlet, doesn't it start with a dumb show? It does. It does start <sighs> with a dumb show. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a mask. It just begins with a dumb show. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, if for those who don't remember, in the Spanish tragedy, this mask at the end turns into a snuff show because Horatio, yeah. like, because the actors that are in playing in this mask get murdered for realsies with real yeah. weapons. And yeah. Horatio <laughs> pops out at the end of it and is like, no, Geronimo. <laughs> Geronimo. Geronimo, sorry, sorry, Horatio's Geronimo, Geronimo. <laughs> right, 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 sorry, the H names, Geronimo, yeah. his dad is like, ha, 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 I have stabbed these fuckers for real, you yeah. were, you thought you were watching a mask, you thought you were watching a dumb show, but it's yeah. not, you just watch these people die for real, stab, 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 yep. and he stabs himself, right, yeah. that's kind of what makes it so epic. Yeah, so Geronimo stabs Balthazar, uh-huh. and then... Also, Lorenzo. Yeah. No, Bellimperia stabs Lorenzo. Um, and then Bellimperia stabs herself. And then Hieronimo draws back a curtain and shows off the body of his dead son, Horatio. Uh-huh. Because, sure. Why wouldn't you? Uh-huh. He just kept it around. Yeah. And then he runs to go hang himself, but the guards stop him. Right. And then he bites out his own tongue. Right. And then he asks, he like signs, asks for a knife so that he can sharpen his quill so he can sign a confession. Right. And then uses that knife to stab the Duke and then himself. Cool. And then it's the end of the play. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay. Don Andrea is like, all right, this was fine. <laughs> uh justice is served yeah yeah question mark Uh uh-huh yeah i mean okay so i think also another wasn't it like another thing about masks it it was like who could perform in a mask like didn't members of the royal court Mm -hmm. perform in masks like people of status aristocrats would like participate in masks because there was something like Again, I think it goes back to like there's something like some heightened performativity about it. There's like showiness yeah. about it. So, uh, you know, God bless the OED again. <laughs> Mask, a form of courtly dramatic entertainment, often richly symbolic, in which music and dancing played a substantial part. Costumes and stage machinery tended to be elaborate and the audience might be invited to contribute to the action or the dancing. The mask became a clearly defined genre during the reigns of James I and Charles I. That makes sense. Less sophisticated earlier spectacles are sometimes called entertainments to distinguish them from the Stuart masks. And post-restoration spectacles such as Dryden's secular mask from 1700 are not readily distinguished from other kinds of drama. So that's helpful. Yeah. So it's courtly. Like- it's, it's definitely courtly. That is like helpful. you like you wouldn't see a mask at the playhouse on a Tuesday. 
Right. Like a no. Right. Unless they happen at court at the playhouse on a Tuesday watching a play, which included exactly like with a mask, (laughs) a mask within a play would be like, you know, a little bit of meta performance is it. You would never see like a full on mask outside of an aristocratic home. No. So, (laughs) okay. um, That helps. That helps. uh, What's the, who, who's this guy? Uh, (laughs) H.A. Evans. Um, in 1898, writes, I think, a book called English Masks. Um, and he says the mask is a combination in variable proportions of speech, dance, and song, but its mm-hmm. essential and invariable feature is the presence of a group of dancers, varying in number, but commonly 8, 12, or 16, called maskers. Okay. So mask has got to have a dance, I guess. Uh-huh. Except that... So many of the masks in plays, I think, don't include dances. Like, there's no mask in the Spanish, or there's no dance in the Spanish tragedy mask. There's no textual dance in the women beware women mask. I mean, not with that attitude. There could be (laughs) just like a line of dancers upstage. Yes, yeah. Right, but there's there's the the text does not provide for it. Sure. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's assumed. I don't, who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know? maybe, right? Like, maybe that's that's just lost to us because yeah. the mask is not a there's thing. Some, yeah, because there's some assumed connotations, assumed yeah. requirements yeah. that they didn't need to write down. We don't know. I mean, there's definitely dancing in, in the surviving, like, actual courtly masks we have, right? In Mask of yeah. Blackness, Mask yeah. of Queens. Um, those are the, you know, most famous ones. But Ben Johnson wrote a lot of masks. We might have to do a... We're not going to do an episode on Ben Johnson's mask. I refuse. <laughs> Put my foot down. I will do an episode on the taming of the shrew sooner than I will do an episode. Well, yes. Or, more like, or like ants. I know. I was being yes. Silly, <laughs> okay. Um, I'll do better. I'll do an episode on Antony and Cleopatra again before we do I mean, Ben again, Johnson probably, episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, like I said, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. We got to oh, get back to yeah, it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, so the thing that I have always found that helps me teach something, especially like whether it's something that's completely unfamiliar to me or or something that feels like intrinsic in me because I've dealt with it so much. Um, you have to reteach it to yourself first. Yeah. Right. Like that's yeah. that's the thing is like come to it brand new. um, and and how would I teach some how would I need this broken down for me uh, mm-hmm. in order to, you know, teach it to somebody else? Like um, that's why actually, weirdly enough, like sometimes English majors make the best math teachers because you have to find <laughs> right. it's, you know, because you have to find yeah. like the little tips and tricks to get a brain unfamiliar with whatever concept um, for yourself. You have to teach it mm-hmm. to yourself before you can teach it to anybody else. Um, so maybe that's. Maybe that's the the thing here with something totally yeah. foreign to 21st century students, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I fell down a little bit on that. But the great news about teaching a class on revenge tragedy is that I'm going to have another opportunity to teach totally. the goddamn same thing real fucking soon. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. Totally. Women Beware Women is is coming up real fast oh man i can't wait i can't wait to hear what they think of that one yeah and then we go we go from women were women to tis pity she's a whore excellent and then we have a hard pivot 
back to the 1580s to Jew of Malta. Okay. And then we're ending with Revengers because obviously. <laughs> yeah. It was intended to be chronological except for Revengers, but then um, instead of reorganizing my entire syllabus, I just swapped out a uh, late Jacobean play for Jew of Malta. Um, so we're just, we're going to well, bounce around a little bit. Yeah. Fun. But Fun stuff. I'm very excited to revisit these wonderful, wonderful plays and yeah. introduce them to some bright and charming students. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, all right. Let's gossip. Yeah. Hit me. Hit me with the hot okay. goss. So we got a lot. We got a lot this week. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is the RSC has just announced their first ever disabled actor playing Richard III. Good Which job. on the one hand, yay. And on the other hand, are you fucking kidding me? It's 2022. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, <laughs> they mm-hmm. also, so they've also, they've got a whole bunch of um, like new exciting initiatives um, mm-hmm. for, for this season, for the 2022 artistic year. So one is, one is calling, they're calling TikTok tickets. <laughs> Okay. Uh-huh. Which is a new initiative to open access to highly to high quality theater for young people, targeted particularly at those living in communities facing structural disadvantage. Um, 10 pound TikTok tickets are available for all RSC productions for any 14 to 25 year olds, hmm. students, and state schools. Um, I don't wow. there there doesn't seem to be anything like you have to be on TikTok to get them. I think it's just like a gen z alliteration (laughs) thing (laughs) okay yeah um okay because i was gonna ask like what's the tiktok connection like what do you have to do do you have to make a tiktok video to like doesn't it does not seem okay that way no oh wait they're partnering with tiktok the rsc will work with tiktok to provide subsidized travel information and support to encourage young people's access to rsc productions all right well that's cool They've got yeah. TikTok subsidizing part of the initiative. Yes. Well, that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, that's that a is cool, cool partnership. Yeah. Um, and then the the other kind of like big story out of the RSC um, is that uh, they they are starting um, 37 plays, which is a nationwide project to capture the stories of today. Um, working with the RSE's 12 regional partner theaters, the newly launched website 37plays.co.uk will offer playwriting support and advice to those who are writing a play for the first time, as well as emerging in professional writers through 2022. So it's a, it's like a playwriting initiative um, that's the RSC plus the Alhambra, Bradford, Grand Theater, Blackpool, Hall Truck Theater, Hall for Cornwall, Intermission Youth Theater, Marlowe Theater, Canterbury, Northern Stage, Norwich Theater, Nottingham Theater Royal and Royal Concert Hall, The New Vic, Stoke, Silhouette Youth Theater, and York Theater Royal. Um, and then, like, it's a, it's a contest. They're going to choose 37 plays um, announced in April wow. 23 and will be performed script in hand across the UK and online in autumn of 2023 cool yeah um and then this is also cool play submissions divide into three age categories of up to 11 years old oh 
right? Oh, um, little baby plays. And Ooh. then 18 and above, right? Like I I want to see I want to see the baby plays. Um yeah, Aww. so that's cool. Uh so you know, RC is doing some stuff. Um what else have we got? Oh, Fatal Throne. Uh okay. This this is uh, a book that landed on my radar this week it is not new it's 2018 um it's called fatal throne colon the wives of henry the eighth tell all um and it's historical fiction yeah it's historical fiction um and it's ya and the conceit is that each wife gets like her own tell-all novella amazing um that is written by uh six individual ya authors and it looks fucking great huh yeah um and so i i gotta get my hands on this um uh-huh. so shouting that out and then what okay. else we got what else we got theater j expanding the canon so theater j uh is a theater somewhere dc they're in dc uh so they're they're launching um and expanding the canon program uh for playwriting so Ah. yeah so theater j's expanding the canon initiative will commission seven extraordinarily sorry seven extraordinary racially and ethnically diverse jewish writers to create new full-length plays that thematically and visually center diverse jewish narratives this program is for Jews of color, multiracial, multi-ethnic Jews, indigenous Jews, and Mizrachi and Sephardic Jews who seek to correct and broaden the historically limited portrayals of Jewishness on stages in the U.S. and around the world. Cool. Um, so each writer will receive a $10,000 commission to create a new play over two and a half years and also uh, a $5,000 developmental budget that can be used for readings, workshop, research, and travel um very cool yeah it's really really cool so you you have to to apply you have to identify as jewish it's i it's it's fucking cool it's fucking cool yeah yeah i also i don't know if i said Mizrachi right i don't that's not a word i'm familiar with i do know sephardic so apologies if i've gotten that wrong because i'm 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 only jewish which is my favorite (laughs) joke uh (laughs) my my heritage my jewish heritage is um a couple generations removed Mm, a little a little vestigial yeah yes yeah it's on my mother's side but um it's 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 back there anyway uh so that's cool as fuck and Mm -hmm. what else have we got uh white people in shakespeare (laughs) yes (laughs) white people in shakespeare is a an essay collection um on race culture and the elite edited by arthur little jr um it has been in the works for a long fucking time um and it is finally coming out from arden bloomsbury in october of this year oh man must have yes uh it it also so the the very first essay is by um imtiaz habib who uh Mm -hmm. is the author of um black lives in the english archives i think is the the title but he Mm -hmm. he did this groundbreaking archival research yeah um in the 90s question mark that tracked all of the places that we can see people black africans people of color 
um, people of African descent living in England in the fucking Renaissance. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. their jobs and shit. Um, anyway, he's been dead for a while. Um, That's too bad. It is too bad, but also tells you how long this this uh, collection has been yeah. um, in in progress. Uh, yeah. So it also includes work by Dennis Britton, David Sterling Brown. Um, yes. Yeah. Ian Smith, who's you know, uh, Joyce McDonald, who's also uh, uh, those are good noises. P.S. Yeah, <laughs> those are those are. Oh, my God. I love these people. Um, Justin Shaw, who I fucking love to see. We've got Keith Hamilton Cobb. Up yes. In this bitch. Kim Hall. Ion yes. Thompson. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. Give it to me now. Why yes. is it? Why? Why isn't it coming out now? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, why do Espinoza, I have to wait until the fall? That's not fair. Margot Hendricks, Peter Erickson. Just like it's a who's who of people working in pre-modern critical race studies. Hot damn. Um, yeah. And I cannot wait to get my hands on it because it's going to inform my book project for fucking sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's available for pre-order now. It's coming out in October. Uh, okay. And now the shit. <laughs> okay. Ugh. Now Is this the shit. The, yeah. Okay. The American conservative. Yes. Fuck these. So. Wow. Um, I, in my Shakespeare class right now, uh, am mm-hmm. teaching Othello. Uh-huh. Um, and this this came across my Twitter timeline last week, last weekend. Yep. Yeah. And I I said, okay, what if I throw out the last week of Othello and I just teach this bullshit? And then I did. How'd that I had, go? Well, I'd only intended it for I I'd, I'd intended it to take up one day and not two, uh, but it took up two. Okay. So I think on our last episode, we briefly talked about Peter Marx's article um, about the Shakespeare Theater Association and their like conversations about diversifying Shakespeare that we mentioned that. So this fucking article (laughs) in the American conservative is a response to that, to Peter Marx's uh, write up of. So just to clarify, not a response to anything that actually happened at STA. Nope. It was a response to an article about STA. So already yep. we've got secondhand sources here. Uh-huh. You're not this this person is not railing against any primary sources. It's secondary sources. No. Nope. Okay. Yeah. So top notch journalism. Wink yes. wink nudge yes. nudge. Well yeah. let's, okay. let me let me read to you the author's bio. Casey Chalk. <sighs> writes about religion and culture issues for the American conservative and is a contributing editor for the new Oxford review. He is the author of the persecuted colon true stories of courageous Christians living their faith in Muslim Muslim lands. Oh, wow. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about this motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Um, somebody's got a persecution complex. Yeah. So his whole, Here's here's the the subheading to the the title of the article circumscribing Shakespeare and then the subheading is the push by Shakespeare companies to abandon Shakespeare in the name of diversity seems driven by resentment of his greatness and our smallness. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um it then oh, it then my sort goodness. of like recaps what the post article said 
cites um, a 1987 book on it's it's called the closing of the American mind, um, which is railing against the decline of teaching the classics, quote unquote, on American college campuses. Wow. And then it quotes Matthew Chapman, who this yeah. is the, his quote is pulled wholesale from the post. Um, yeah. This he Matthew Chapman was interviewed for the post yes. article. Yes. It does not identify Matthew Chapman. It just refers to him as assistant professor of performance studies at the State University of New York at New Paltz. Um, and what Matthew Chapman has to say is, quote, you can make it all the way through K through 12 college and grad school, never reading a black playwright. You won't make it past ninth grade without reading Shakespeare. So then what does that do to our culture as a whole? Question mark. That is Matthew Chapman's quote. Yeah. And then this motherfucker answers the question. And he says, I don't know. But I presume that he, Matthew Chapman, would say it per perpetuates white supremacist patriarchal norms while demeaning the accomplishments of persons of color. Uh, and then Matthew Chapman tweeted and was like, that's actually not what I would fucking say. <laughs> At which point I was like, OK, so I got to teach this. So I gave this to my students. We, we worked through it. And they were angry. The, so this is, I, I'm just, I'm just going to read. <laughs> I'm going to read Wait, to you. I'm curious now, though, what Matthew Chapman would have said. I mean, I kind of know, I think mm -hmm. I, I've heard him speak enough, but mm -hmm. um, did he, I, mean, I didn't he, see that he, particular no. tweet. So. He didn't answer the question. He was just like, oh, okay. this is not what I'd say. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but we can guess, you know, uh, anyway. Um, so these are these are the final two paragraphs of this article, and I'm going to read you the first one, and then we're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to read you the second one, and we're going to talk about it. Okay. Okay. So as Not many ready. of these theater troops are doing with Shakespeare, dismantle, reshape, and recast it in such a way that it's no longer about avarice, in parentheses, Richard III, romance, in parentheses, taming of the shrew, <gasps> or revenge, in parentheses, Titus Andronicus, but the sins of our zeitgeist, racism, homophobia, colonialism. The irony is that in doing so, we make Shakespeare less universal and more parochial. His words no longer transcend time, place, and culture, but speak only narrowly to our current and ephemeral fetishes. How sad and counterproductive, especially given the fact that the global appropriation of Shakespeare has been so often both profound and exhilarating. When I first saw Kurosawa's Ran in high school, I didn't even know it was an interpretation of King Lear. For me, the play will always bring to mind Daimo and Samurai. So let's unpack that. <laughs> and let's start with his assertion that Taming of the Shrew is a play about romance. Well, that tells me everything I need to know about his marriage. Uh. And let's also start with his assertion that Richard III is a play about avarice, which means greed. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with avarice, I had to define it for my students, so I'm just defining it for everybody. That's just, like, your opinion, man. It's so fucking reductive. Yeah. Richard III is about politics and family and ambition. And, yeah. I mean, maybe all of those things can be reduced down to greed, but what? I don't know. I mean, okay, here's the problem, right? This guy is assumed... This white man 
mm-hmm. is assuming that his hot take on uh-huh. those his reductive hot take is the only hot take. Like it's and, the only conclusion anybody could possibly come to. Yeah. And that's the inherently the problem. <laughs> that is the inherent problem. Of, like, trying to claim that Shakespeare is universal, that everybody's going to take away the exact same thing from it. Like, that is, he is working against himself Uh saying bullshit like that. He is just, and he's a man at a mark, and all of the other scholars are the army shooting at him at this point because he's laid himself so open and showed his ass so prominently. Yes. What a douche. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So now I'm, I'm going to bring you to the final paragraph and I need you to, I need you to listen closely. I will try. And I need you to understand that I'm going to read every single word in the exact order that it is written. And I am not having problems reading. Okay. 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 Here we go. I'm listening. The diminishing influence of Shakespeare means more than simply the loss of our heritage. It means a weakening of our ability to appreciate that cultures and eras different than our own have something of eternal worth to tell us. If we can't accept that transcend the fact that Shakespeare's profundity transcends his whiteness, maleness, or Englishness, then there is nothing stopping us from rejecting any writer whose race, sex, or language does not meet our fragile and fleeting definition of value. I'm just going to read that again. If we can't accept that transcend the fact that Shakespeare's profundity transcends his whiteness, maleness, or Englishness, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like he started a sentence and Uh then restarted that sentence without Uh deleting the first part. I've done that before. Yeah. But did you then publish it? Hell no. Where's his editor? Where is his editor? Where's his editor? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, somebody was getting a little heated in the writing uh-huh. of that final paragraph. Yeah. The, the comments, the comments are amazing. Also, P.S. Um, this dude is trash. This is yeah. trash. Yeah. Yes. Save our heritage. Yes. <sighs> um, I, I, yeah. Uh, so I, you know. I I gave this to my students. We unpacked it. We had some conversations about race and privilege and universality and who owns Shakespeare and Shakespeare's fucking dead and he's fucking fine. And yeah, you know, and you know what? Um, the text is fine. I know we've said that on this podcast before, too, but like the text is still over there, no matter how much one particular like playwright or director or production cuts it, adapts it, uh-huh. whatever. Like it's still sitting over there in its folio form or whatever. Like you can always go back to whatever the fuck you want in that. T- it's not like it's not like doing something different with each new production erases the text or erases yeah. that work. Like that just that's not a thing. That's not how this works. Stop being so fucking scared. Get your panties out of a knot and, like, chill the fuck out. God damn. Shakespeare's dead. He don't care. He don't care. He, oh, wow. He don't care. Yeah. I So 
I like I don't want to link to it because I don't want to give yeah. this guy's more clicks. No. But so anyway, I mean, it, it, but also like it's a primer in like how not to write a counter argument, right? Yeah. Um, if you're trying to teach your students like what not to do when addressing whatever point they want to argue against, like first of all, don't take secondary sources out of context and rail against those. Like do mm-hmm. your own legwork. Actually, you know, like yeah. do your own research. Don't just respond to somebody's response. Like that's that's just lazy. It's lazy. Yeah. Anyway, so that happened. Wow. <laughs> and we got angry about it. My students got angry yeah. about it. And anyway, that's oh, yeah. the end. Now we're really, the end. I'm getting hot under the collar. About <laughs> yeah. It, so yeah. I mean, yeah. and this is why our work fucking matters. Our work, yours and mine, my work, my education work, my work, my yeah. on my book. Like anyway, uh, let's be done now. <laughs> yeah. Great. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you leave the podcast more informed about masks and about dumb shows and about dumb article writers than when you started. I hope you're angry. I hope you're angrier than you were when we started. Get angry, stay angry, fight like hell for change. Um, All right. So tune in next time. We are... Uh, we're, we're going back to Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Y'all. You know what? And I feel like I have a whole new motivation to go back to it now because I feel like I need to prove that this is not about romance. It's fucking not. (laughs) It's not a play about romance. have slightly been in its time, but anyway. Now you listen to me, people out there. (laughs) If someone tells you Taming of the Shrew is about romance, you run. You run far. You punch them in the face and you run in the opposite direction. You run away. You don't marry them. Uh Uh-uh. Bottom Uh -uh. line. Okay. Well, well, more on that next time. All right. Wham it out. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurleyburleyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurleyburleyshake, no S, on Twitter. The land on which I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca. Get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the Landback campaign at landback.org. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent.